0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. We're once again in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of life. Last week, Daniel continued and introduced uh, Nicodemus, jumped into chapter 3. And I'm excited to be back. I'm excited. We had a great week, a great time, vacation, a great time of just refreshing with my family. Um, But what's the purpose of John? Remember, what's the purpose of John? John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to say this. One of these times, I'm going to ask you guys if you can memorize it and say it by heart. But the Son of God, that by believing that you may have life in His name. So once again, the purpose of John is that for you, for me, for everyone who hears these words, who listens to the words, puts their faith, have a, has a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that an actual saving faith. Because we have talked about that you can have faith in Jesus, but it cannot, but it also cannot be a saving faith. That there's a difference between true faith and one that just calls Jesus Lord. Right? Jesus says, "There's going to be many that say Lord, Lord, but do not do." The the will of the Father. So there's a saving faith and there's a non-saving faith. And we saw a couple of weeks ago remember when Jesus finishes cleansing out the temple and it says he stayed there for a while and he did miracles and miracles and many people came to believe on account of his miracles now the problem was is their faith was disingenuous because it was rooted in Jesus's miracles and not Jesus's words not Jesus's testimony and so Jesus says I did not entrust myself to any of them because of their insincere faith he didn't have faith in their faith is what we saw And then the next chapter is what we saw last week, where we see Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Why? Well, let's let's read why. Why did he come to Jesus? Actually, let's go back and we're gonna get the context of what he came or what we're about to talk about. So the context, chapter three, verse one. Now there was a man of the uh, there was a there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it, hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Okay, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, right? And Daniel broke this down. He did an awesome job. We're going to do a little recap. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Why? because he saw signs miracles and he said well nobody can do what you do unless God is with you and so he's like Jesus I saw that you have these miracles and signs now we saw Daniel didn't Daniel Daniel mentioned this he said that he did not even acknowledge The signs. Jesus is like, oh yeah, let me tell you about the signs. Let me tell you how I did that. He says, no, no, let me get straight to the point. You must be born again. You need to be born of water and you need to be born of spirit. Now what Jesus is doing, now this is what we're going to see a lot of this morning. Jesus is giving an omega of an alpha. Jesus is giving a fulfillment of a prophecy. He's saying what we are about to see has been prophesied from the old. Remember in Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what God promises. He says, therefore, says the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act but for the sake of my holy nation, which you have profaned amongst your nations to which you came. He says, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you, have been profaned, which you have been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So first of all, God, just real quick, God says, Israel, y'all were supposed to be my holy nation. Like, I called you back with Abraham, y'all were going to be a nation that's going to bless the nations. I called you back with Exodus, and in Exodus 19 with, with, with Moses, and said, I'm going to set you apart as a holy nation, as a, as a kingdom of priests. And you are supposed to follow my commands, obey my law, stay within my judgments, so that the world can look upon the nation of Israel, and the name of Yahweh will be glorified. Because as the nation of Israel walks in the decrees of God, walk in the commands of god and are blessed by them and have life in them and they are they're empowered by the spirit as god's leading them through the wilderness and they're winning battle after battle victory after victory they get into the promised land and they have the, mil- the the land flowing with milk and honey the world was supposed to look upon israel and say wow yahweh is the one true god it was for his name but notice he says i'm about to do something here y'all that profaned it y'all have walked away you have idols I'm going to do something. I'm going to cleanse you. But why is he going to cleanse you? For his name's sake. It ain't for y'all fools, right? It ain't for you. It's for me. Because I called you to be a a reflection of me. I called you to be an arrow to me. Just as the church, God called the church that when the people of the nations, Jesus says, let your life shine such a way that people see your good works and do what? Glorify. Glorify God. It ain't about you. When God looks upon the church, when the world looks upon the church, when the world, the nations, the, the, the pagan, these wicked pagans, right, these wicked ones, looks upon us, what are they supposed to see? Jesus. Jesus. What do they see? Huh. You don't have to answer that one. Um, but he says, for your name's sake. So what is he going to do? He says this. He goes on. Then I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into the house, to your own land. He says, I will sprinkle." Listen. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be cleansed from what? Your uncleanliness and from all your idols and I will cleanse you. But then what is he going to do? I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new spirit and I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to do what? walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Some translations say obey my judgments. So God says that, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cleanse you with water. The water is going to cleanse you from your sins of old. It's going to cleanse you from your idolatry. It's going to cleanse you from your immoralities. It's going to cleanse you from all that stuff, your past, the sins. It's going to cause you to repent, to repent, turn from it but not only that not i'm going to cleanse you from your old i'm going to give you a new spirit that changes you that molds you that gives you the ability from now on to walk in my statues to walk in my judgment to walk in my commands from now on you will have my spirit so that you are empowered to have life in my commands that's what god says he's gonna do jesus says time's here it's now Right? Now why did we need a new birth to begin with? It goes back to what Daniel said last week. He mentioned it. He talked about the garden of Eden, right? When we were back in the garden. Now, I'm going to answer one of the most difficult questions that you've ever been you probably asked, what was the fruit that Eve ate? You don't know. Right? So we have we have questions like, "Oh, was it an apple? Was it an orange?" It's probably a grapefruit because nobody likes grapefruit and it was a Satan's fruit, right? So ain't nobody like grapefruit if you like grapefruit you gotta put a lot of sugar in it so it ain't grapefruit after that um it's like everybody likes coffee sure you do you gotta put all this junk in it to make it taste good you you could do the same with dirt if you want to you can put a lot of sugar in dirt and water and make it taste awesome um but we overthink this okay when you if i say hey go to the apple tree and give me a piece of fruit. What are y'all gonna bring me? An apple. An apple. Now, not a grapefruit. <laughs> now, if I say, go to the orange tree and bring me back a, a fruit, and y'all bring me a grapefruit, we're no longer friends. But I'll say, I'll say, look, y'all, y'all went to the wrong tree. I told you to go to the orange tree to bring me back a fruit, and y'all brought me a grapefruit. And so now here's the thing. We get weird with it because that's pretty calm, pretty simple. Now, Jesus, God says there was a tree. The tree was named the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree's name. And then Eve said, I see a fruit in the tree of knowledge and good of, of good and evil. There's a fruit from a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. If there's a fruit in the tree called an apple tree, it's a what? If there's a fruit in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what is the fruit? Knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Eve ate the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Why would Eve think that she can be like God? She was made in the image of God, but she lacked one point. Why would Eve think that by eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that she can be like God? Because what is the characteristics? We read it in our catechism, that the wisdom of God, God is the God of all wisdom. God is the God of all knowledge. God is the God who has created all things. And so when God says something is good, it is? When God says something is evil, it is? It doesn't matter if everybody in this room, everybody in the world, if we get Michael the archangel and Gabriel and everybody else to agree and say, hey, what God called was good, God said it was good, we all say it's evil. It doesn't matter if everybody and everything that God created disagrees with God. What God says is good is good. That is the truth. God is the source of truth. And when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they lived in this. Where God was God, he, what he said was true, they believed. What he said was good, they believed it was good. When God said Adam and Eve do, Adam and Eve went. They did. They trusted. They obeyed. They, 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 they trusted in the judgments of God. They trusted in the commands of God. Because in those things, they found life. It was the most epic game of Simon Says, except for this Simon doesn't make you jump on one foot, touch your nose, and say ABCs backwards. Like, it's dumb. But this Simon Says, do this, and you live. Obey, good evil no right that's a no-no and i don't think okay but what happened when they ate the fruit what happened when they ate the fruit of knowledge of good and evil they became like god in the sense that now they are the source the plumb line of their own good and evil they now the problem is their judgment is 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 stained their judgment their nature their is, is, is limited right they're uh Sorry, there is imperfect. Their wisdom is imperfect. Their, their uh, discernment is imperfect. Their love is imperfect. So, in this imperfect love, but nonetheless, they became the source of their own wisdom, of their own knowledge of good and evil. So, Adam and Eve, from that point forward, decided what's good for them and what's bad for them. They decided what's evil and what's good, what's right and what's wrong. And just as Daniel said last week, we have the same problem today. Right? We live in this world, the air that we breathe is, hey, you need to live your truth. What's good for you is good for you. And as long as you're not hurting nobody, then who am I to tell you what is good for you? I can't tell you how to live your life and what's good for you. Only you know what's good for you, right? Bull. I can tell you what's good for you. I can tell you what's right for you. I don't even have to know you, right? I don't have to know the innards of you. I don't need to psychobabble you i don't need to sit on the couch and let you talk to me for an hour to know what's good for you because i know what's best for you is what god says is good for you but in our world we live in this world that says no this is what we all discern what's right what's wrong what's good what's evil for me for you it's your truth but over and over again god says come back to my commands obey my commands now what is it when we obey god's commands what are we doing we're loving God, we're surrendering God. What we're doing, all of those, but what we're doing is we're, we're, we're willingly placing ourselves, we're rejecting the wisdom, the knowledge of good and evil from ourselves as a source of knowledge and good and evil. We're rejecting that and we're placing ourselves once again back under the judgments of God as the source of knowledge and good and evil. That's what obeying God's commands are all about. We are saying, God, you're the source of the knowledge of good and evil. Not me. Now Israel was called to this over and over again, but the problem was they still had the seed of Adam. No matter how much they desired to do so, they had the poison of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil running through their veins. So no matter how hard they wanted to, their judgment and discernment, their their wisdom pulled them away from God and into their own judgments and their own wisdom and their own discernment. And so when Jesus, what God does, he says, I'm going to create something new. I'm going to create a new birth where you're no longer the seed of Adam with the poison of the the good and the the, the tree of good and evil in you and I'm gonna create something new Where now as Ezekiel says you can obey my judgments my commands my will isn't that awesome y'all looking at me like you're confused y'all need to stop sucking on the tree of good and evil right so um, God says there's a new birth. Now, he's trying to explain this to Nicodemus, right? He's trying to explain this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus didn't understand this, which is dangerous because Nicodemus is a teacher amongst teachers. And if the teacher is blind and he's teaching other people, now we got the blind leading the blind. It's the same thing that God said to the leaders in Israel. He said in Isaiah uh, chapter 56, he says, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They can't bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. God, Jesus is saying, look, you're a teacher and you don't understand this. How in the world is the rest of Israel going to understand this? This is literally the blind leading the blind to death. Nicodemus, you got to get this. This is the most important truth. It's salvation. Being born from a new seed, getting away from the poison, the toxin of the knowledge of good and evil, away from Adam into a new life. And if you don't get this, you're doomed. And so then we pick up to where we take on this morning, John chapter 3, verse 11 So that's a little backstory of what Daniel talked about last week. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is chapter three, verse 11. We speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So so Nicodemus, this is the last time. Actually, the last time we see Nicodemus talk is in verse nine. The rest of it's Jesus. Nicodemus is like, just Jesus, is like, just sit down and listen. All right, I don't speak. Okay, so he's listening to Jesus. He's hearing what he says. A discourse of Jesus, and Jesus is going to explain why Nicodemus doesn't understand, and the heart of why Nicodemus is not understanding. He says, "We speak of the testimonies. We speak, and we we declare, we testify of what we know, what we see, and what we hear." So, who is the we? Who's Jesus talking about here? He says, we speak. Now, I know it's tempting to say, well, he's talking about the Trinity. But the reality is, is what Jesus is trying to do to Nicodemus, he's trying to to, to get Nicodemus to understand that what he's missing, he's missing the testimony, he's missing the words, he's missing about who Jesus is as testified about what we've already seen. So in other words, the we in this section is the disciples, and I would even say John the Baptist, what we've seen thus far, the people who have literally spoken out the nature and testimony of who Jesus is what we've seen is John the Baptist or John the Apostle he's already testified that Jesus is eternal now whether or not Nicodemus would have heard that because it is written later but he's spoken that he's eternal he's the son of man the, he is the he is the creator of the universe he is the source of light the source of truth the source of hope the source of creation John the Baptist screamed out he is the Messiah the son of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the disciples have already declared he's the Messiah and then also they declared what he's the son of God and so we've testified of these things we've witnessed to these things we spoke of these things and yet Nicodemus you do not understand you do not receive the testimony why just the same reason as nobody received the testimony in John 1 11 when he said he came to his own and his own did not receive him Nicodemus you do not receive me because you're blind You did not receive the testimony. You could not see what I'm saying because you're blind. And now if you had acknowledged you were blind, then we would have, your eyes would be open. But the fact is, is you think that your eyes are open. This is what we saw later on in chapter nine of John. Remember when John, Jesus heals the man in the pool of Shalom, the blind man, and then he sends him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees cast him out as a wicked uh, sinner. And Jesus goes to the man. Listen, this is very important. We talked about this a little bit in the past, but Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he, having found him, and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is the Son of Man that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come to the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees here heard him saying, "Who are we also blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would, not have, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Remember this. You see, the Pharisees were blind because God, we're going to talk about, God sealed the scrolls. They could not interpret the wisdom of God, but they were so arrogant in their wisdom. They were blind, but they thought they were the mouthpiece of God. So they spoke in man's wisdom. They spoke in man's interpretation. They spoke in the traditions of man. They spoke as the mouthpiece, as the eyes, as the wisdom of God. They thought that they can speak the mysteries of God. They were the scholars. They had their masters, their doctorate degree in divinity. They were the wise of the world. And God said, I'm gonna take the foolish things. I'm gonna take a David, because I'm foolish. And I'm going to shame the wise. I'm gonna take the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, because you think that you can see. If you acknowledge the humility that you were blind, Jesus says, No, you are blind. And because you have a hard time seeing that you're blind, you're gonna remain it and you miss it. Remember Isaiah 29, verse 11. Remember this. God says, I'm taking the prophecies, the sealed scrolls, stay with me, and I'm closing them. I'm sealing them. So that if I gave them to Dawn, I said, Read them, Dawn, you would try to read them. You'd be able to read the words, but you would not be able to interpret. Why? It are sealed. But as we talked about, the, the Pharisees grabbed the seal, started reading it, and they started interpreting it through the man's wisdom. They started interpreting it through their own understanding. And so they started coming up with man's traditions. They started having all this wisdom, all this knowledge that came from a lot of dead people and their great theology. And they thought that they were awesome, that they were the eyes of, the, they were eyes of God, that they were able to interpret the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he finally has the authority to open the scroll and interpret the seal, they're like, that's not what it means. They missed it. They couldn't see it. What does this mean to be born again? And Jesus is like, if I can't tell you the basics, if I can't tell you what Ezekiel means, if I can't explain to you the basics of worldly wisdom, of being born again and the wind blowing, and not be able to see but be able to feel and experience the movement of the spirit, if I can't tell you these things and you're wondering about, how am I going to be able to tell you how I'm the fulfillment of the seed of eve how i'm the fulfillment of the the promised son of abraham how i'm the prophet of moses how i'm the king of david how i'm one with god that i am ego and me i am how am i going to explain that to you if you can't understand the basics You see, Nicodemus, he thought he was wise. He thought he was learned. He thought he was holy. But the problem was Nicodemus was raised just amongst the rest of the Pharisees in the wisdom of man, in the wisdom and discernment of the knowledge of their own plumb line. They were the standard, thinking they're getting their wisdom from God, but it's just from, like I said, a bunch of dead people who thought they were getting it from God. But God sealed the scroll. And God's like, you're blind, Nicodemus was was in danger of adding and taking away from the scroll let me ask you why is it dangerous to add and take away from the scroll why is it dangerous to add and take away from the word of God while while you're thinking about that let me get uh Mark and Daniel I'll show you why it's dangerous to take and add and take away from the scroll okay so the Bible says do not add or take away from my word right Because if you add, especially in Revelation, not just in Revelation, but the Old Testament says it too. He says, if you add and take away from my word, I will take your name out of the book of life. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It's serious. It's good. i need to tell them where to put it. But in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, memorize this first. God says, I do not do something. I do not move until I speak to my prophets first. Now this is the important part. So God's promise of salvation is I will prophesy the sealed scroll where you can see the shadow of the sealed scroll. And then I will fulfill it that's my that's my way I pr- uh, I fulfill prophecy I promise it I fulfill it I promise it I fulfill it the Old Testament Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies Why? because God promised them promised them promised them promised them promised them Jesus fulfilled them in the New Covenant God Jesus says I promise certain things I speak in figurative language I speak in figurative speech I speak in parables now but one day you will be under, able to understand it one day you'll be able to understand it Revelation 5 says he opens the scroll yours you can understand it right now we are in a shadow of what Jesus Jesus will do in revelation but it's dangerous to add or take away because this is the promise of god the story of god is the shadow and the fulfillment it's like this okay so this is why it's dangerous all right so guys can we turn off the lights okay so can you can you guys see me see me Okay. So the Bible says that the Old Testament is a shadow. Okay? So everything in the Word says this, this is a picture of what's to come. Now, you can't see my eyes or what color my eyes are. You can't see my hair. You can't, I mean, you can see little things. Um, you can't see what color my shirt is. You can't see all the details of the body, but you can see the shadow. And so the Bible says, well, this suffering servant is going to come down. He's going to come down from heaven. So the Bible kind of pictures this suffering servant, worshiping this suffering servant to come down and be the Lamb of God that's be slain for the sins of the world. He's going to be rejected by his people. So he has this suffering image, the first coming of Jesus, that he's going to have nothing in appearance that's going to be appealing to man. That's the God of the Old Testament. Now, we don't know for sure. We know little details, but all we know is this kind of shadow of the coming servant now why is it dangerous to add or take away well now let's say well i don't like my suffering servant i don't like the servant he needs to be up on his feet right and you know what genesis chapter 3 says that he is going to beat up satan right so he needs to be a fighter right he's going to be a fighter Right? But, then, but, then, but then we, can, we can get to Genesis later on. And God says that he is, be, he is going to be one of the blessed. So he's going to have to be kind of angelic, right? So, so God, so this, this, this coming servant is going to be kind of angelic. Right? But you know what the Bible also says? The Bible also says that he is going to be a king, so he needs a crown right? And so he's going to come as a mighty crown. He's not going to, so he's coming as a crown, with a crown. <laughs> but the Bible also says he's coming as a soldier to, to, to destroy Rome, and this is our mighty warrior. But he also says that he is going to come with, as a king, and he's going to have gold and silver, and he's going to redeem his people, and so he's going to have treasure. so he's going to have a bag. And so, as you're adding and taking away from the scriptures, now the shadow, the promise of God, has looked like this. And now, when Jesus comes, this is the kind of image you're expecting. So, when Jesus comes, y'all, y'all can move the screen. This is what you're expecting. <laughs> this is this is the guy. Now, but when Jesus shows up, (laughs) is that it? Yeah. When Jesus shows up like this, what happens? That's not the guy. Your eyes are blind. What you The reason why it's dangerous to add and take away from Scripture is because all of a sudden you're messing around with the, the method that God promises His means of salvation. You start messing around with Scripture, it's it, it messing around with God's means and methods of salvation. God promises in the Old Testament, He foreshadows, and He fulfills, Amen. Okay. Um, Oh, that was hot, that hat. And so so once again, Nicodemus, Jesus said, man, Nicodemus, I told you this was going to happen. But now he's going to give him a shadow. He's going to say, there's a shadow in the Old Testament. Now Jesus is going to say, okay, let me fulfill it. Let me open up this scroll to you. Let's look at the shadow. He says this. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except I who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Okay, so now Jesus is revealing, opening up a scroll... He's opening up the scroll and he's saying, look, it's like, okay, I'm going to open the scroll of Moses in the wilderness. And this would have been a story that Nicodemus would have been so familiar with. He would have known this scroll. At face value, he would have known this story. He would have known the historical value of it, but he would not have known the spiritual significance of it, the prophetic meaning of it. He would have missed all of that, but he would have understood the historical value of it. And Jesus is about to say, let me open the scroll to you. Let me tell you what it was about. Let me show you the fulfillment. And he says, okay, he goes to this, Moses and lifting up the serpent. Now, in the Numbers chapter 21, this is where the story goes, okay? Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, it says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. Now, first of all, it says, they're whining again, and it says that they said, we have no water. Now, no water. Literally, one chapter before this, God brings water from a rock, okay? And now they're complaining, we have no water, we have no food, and they say, we loathe this worthless bread. Now, what bread is he talking about? Manna. Manna. (laughs) We hate this bread. This manna that God gave supernaturally from heaven, that God brought down from heaven, God provided from heaven. Now, let me ask you a question. This is important. Why did God give them manna? Remember in Exodus, this is why God gave them manna for a specific reason. He says in Exodus 16, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am to rain bread, about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. But listen, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Why did God give them manna? God gave them manna to test them, to show them that man shall not live off of bread alone but every word that comes from my mouth I'm giving you this super, not just to take care of your flesh, yeah you're hungry eat it, but it's spiritual manna, that I'm doing this so that you can remain in my law, I'm doing this so you can remain in my judgment, I'm doing this to test you whether or not you will actually remain in me, now in the, the, the Israel's infinite wisdom they said we would rather be back in the slavery of Egypt than be under the judgment of God and his worthless manna, okay? So what does God do? <laughs> the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord pray the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to, number, uh, prayed to the people, and the Lord said, or prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who, is in, who has been bitten when he sees this shall live. So Moses made the bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look upon the bronze serpent and live. So what did God do after they called this thing worthless manna? God came, and he said, you know what? He said, "I'm going to send you God sent God sent, um, God sent snakes to come and bite them. It's <laughs> uh, just fake. God sent snakes to come. <laughs> you know what I thought about that because I was like, you know, first of all, some of you new people think this is going to be one of them snake handling churches. And then and I, thought, I thought about getting a real snake, but I was like, I'll get a realistic, really one. And then I was like, make sure there's nobody in the front row that will have a heart attack. So I really thought that one through and didn't work out as quite as, I was hoping for a girl to screech, but it didn't work out. Um, I thought about throwing Emily, but she was like holding snakes in our, outside early, like when we were doing the garden. <laughs> okay, so God... Sends poisonous snakes and he goes. The snakes go out and bite the people of Israel, and all of a sudden, these people start laying out. They die, right? These deadly snakes. And they start freaking out, and they run to Moses and say, okay, okay, we messed up. Please forgive us. We've sinned against you, Moses, and we've sinned against God. And so God, so please, just as, their, as his, our mediator, go to God and petition for us that we can be saved. And so Moses goes to God and prays, and in God's great mercy, God says, Moses, I want you to take the snake, and I want you to put it upon the pole in the middle of the camp, and I want you to raise it up so that everybody who, looks upon this snake in the middle of the pole or in the middle of the camp, that they will be saved. So everybody who has been bitten by the poison of the deadly snakes, that they look upon the bronze serpent, (laughs) they look upon the bronze, there we go. They look upon the bronze serpent, then they will be saved. Right? So Moses does, everybody's bit, they're dying, and then they look upon the serpent, and in their, why are they dying? Because they're bit and they got the poison because of the judgments of God. They're saved by looking upon the snake. Now, what does that sound like? So must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to the, for the world that might, might be saved through him. God says, Jesus says, this prophecy, this old alpha in the Old Testament was a shadow of what I have to come to do. Was It was an alpha of the omega. This is, I'm opening the scroll to you. Now, why were the people of Israel bit? Why did they have to come to the snake? Because they have rejected the word and the law and the provisions and the judgments of God. And they were bit by the snake. Now, it says Jesus came not to judge the world. He came to save the world. He came to set the the world free. This is one of those most most popular verses in the entire world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We love that verse. Now, here's the thing. What happens if you do not receive Jesus? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. And this is the judgment, and the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their work were evil. Now listen, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest the work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now listen, here we go. So Jesus did not come into the world, but if you do not receive him, you are condemned already. Why? The same reason the Israelites were condemned. You see, when the Israelites were bit by the snake, they had the poison in them, right? If you're bit by a snake, you're not going to go like bit dead, okay? like That's not how it works. Even the most deadly snakes, you got a good couple minutes right? You may limp it around and your leg starts falling off, but you're still able to walk. So you're bit by this snake and you're walking around, freaking out, running to Moses. Please save me. So you still have life in you. Just because you're walking, just because you're able to talk does not mean that the poison is not running through your veins does not mean that that deadly toxin that will eventually take your life is not in your veins already, just as the Israelites. The same is true with you. Just because you are here this morning, if you have rejected the snake on the cross, the lamb on the tree, here's the thing, you are a dead man walking. You stand condemned because the poison is already in you. The toxin is in you. Just because you can breathe, just because you're walking, just because you're thinking, just because you may walk out of here and live another 20 years, eventually this will kill you. You will breathe your last. You already stand condemned because you already have the poison in you. Now, the question is, is why were they bitten to begin with? They were bitten to begin with. Why were we bitten to begin with? The same reason the Israelites, because they rejected the manna, the word, the judgments of God. They walked away from the judgments of God, and God judged them and condemned them by the snakes. They had the seed of Adam in them, they had the seed, the poison of the fruit of good and evil in them, the knowledge of the good and evil in them. Let me ask you a question, what does the word manna mean? Yeah, it means what is it? What is it? God sent them something and they even said, what is it? Right? What is this stuff? Like, what is this stuff? Now, so God sent them this supernatural manna to test them to see if they're going to remain in his judgments called, what is it? Now, do you remember what they said to Jesus in Mark chapter one, after Jesus preached in the synagogue and and then he cast out a demon? After all of that, after he just spoke in the synagogue, do you remember what they said to him? Mark chapter one, listen to this. And they were amazed So that they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obeyed. You know, after Jesus finished teaching this new teaching, they're like, what was that? What is it? What is this? This new teaching. I'm not getting this teaching from the Pharisees. I'm not getting this teaching from from my leaders. I'm not getting this teaching, this doctrine from everybody else. This is new. It's almost like it's spiritual manna from heaven. It's almost like it's new stuff. It's almost like exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 6. And Jesus says, Truly I say to you that it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but the Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says, what do you say? I'm the bread of life whoever comes to me Jesus says I am the manna from heaven my words are the manna from heaven my words are the truth life my words are true source my words are living from the living God my words are true if you feed off of me Jesus speaks true he even says that in John 5 he says if you whoever hears my words and believes in him believes in him who sent me has eternal life and where am I going with this what I'm saying here is that if you reject Jesus, the reason why you have the blood of poison, the the, the blood of the, the, the knowledge of good and evil, the rejection, is because you walk as one of the Israelites who have rejected the manna from God. You've rejected the words of Jesus. Nicodemus does not understand the testimony of Jesus, does not understand the witness of Jesus, why? Because it's different, it's new manna to them. He is in the mindset of the Israelites who said, this is worthless manna to us. We want our own wisdom, our own judgment. We had a back it better in slavery. You see, when you reject Jesus' words, you reject Jesus' truth. When you reject the testimony of Jesus, you're rejecting the manna from God, the manna that was to give you life. You're rejecting the manna that was to give you hope, the man in that was give you peace, the man that placed you back under the judgments of God, and just same as the Israelites, you now stand bit with poison in you. The only way that you have freedom is to look upon the cross. The only anti-venom you're going to have is to look upon the cross. But it says that those who do have eternal life. Now, what does that sound like, to have eternal life? Remember in the garden. Remember in the garden when there was a tree of good and evil. But what else was there? What was God's intention with Adam and Eve? Just live with me forever. Trust in me forever. Obey me forever. Let me let me be the judgment. Let me let me tell you what's good and evil. Let me be the discerning factor. You don't take that upon yourself. You just live in peace, joy, health, happiness, love forever. And let me be the discerning. Let me be the truth. Let me be the wisdom. See, this sounds so, doesn't this sound awesome to you? To live a life where you are literally walking in peace and joy and love. Doesn't that sound so much better than what we make it as Christians? Like so many Christians walk in Christianity, they, think, they believe that it's, this is what it is. You walk in Christianity, you come to faith, you said a prayer, you believe Jesus died on the cross, you may even say that he's Lord of your life, but, but, and one day you'll go to heaven, not hell, right? That's your, that's your testimony. But you look at your life, you have the same anxieties of the world, you have the same fears of the world, you have the same bad decisions of the world same broken marriages of the world, same wisdom of the world, making the same dumb mistakes as the world. Your life looks just like the world, but one day you'll go to heaven. And you live in this fear and anxiety. I know so many Christians that have more anxiety than the the secular world. So much fear, more than secular world. More broken marriages. It's saying that i heard uh, marriages are more broken in the church. It's getting to the point where it's almost going the other way. More broken marriages in the church than there are in the world. Why? Because this is the model. We think that we just got to say prayer. This is this, this. But God had it different. God's plan was different. God says, No. I want to create something new in you that gives you the ability, a new spirit, a new life that gets rid of the toxin, the poison of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, getting that out of you. So now that you can walk in the freedom of remaining in me. Most Christians that I've talked to say it is a drag to be under the law of God. It is a burden to obey the commands of God. It stinks. It sucks. I was making sure there's no kids in here. I saw a baby, so it didn't matter. She can't understand. That's, yeah. And the truth is, for some of us it may be, it may be a drag, it may be a burden, and the truth is it's because you're still running around with poison in your veins, toxin in your veins. You're still old self, you're still a seed of Adam. And you still want to be your plumb line. You still love evil and the darkness and the light of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the commands of God exposes your darkness. And rather than being like the Israelites and saying, this darkness is wicked in your sight, oh God, what have I done? I've sinned against your son, the mediator, and I've sinned against you, oh God, please forgive me. Rather than doing that, we cling to the darkness. We want the darkness. And the God's law has become burdensome to us. But for the Christian, for the one with new life, what we find is that there is actually life, that God doesn't tell you to not commit adultery, not to steal, not to lie, not to lust, not to murder, not to slander, not to have pride, not to have greed, not to commit all kinds of other things, not to commit witchcraft, sorcery, not to do all these things he calls us to do, and not to mention the things he does tell us to do proactively. He doesn't tell, there's never a time in our minds or in God's life that God tells us that this is bad that it's ever good but here's the reason why i trust god is that god is not only perfect in wisdom but he's perfect in love and if god perfectly loves me then when he says something's bad that i've got to trust that is the most there's but see in our perfect wisdom in your adam and eve seed in your knowledge of good and evil you will discern well yeah god says don't lie but there may be good times to lie when my wife asks me how do I look in this dress, this is a good time to lie. There's never a good. My wife is so brutally honest with me. When I like, I'll say, "How does this look?" Well, you, look, your love handles. You, she goes, "Your fupa's hanging out, <laughs> your front butt, or whatever that is. I don't know what that is." <laughs> She's brutal. Okay. That's so why I wear a baggy shirt today, I just got back from vacation. Um, but is there ever a, time, a good time to lie? Many Christians will say it depends. Is there ever a good time to commit adultery? It depends. Are you in love? Is there ever a good time to move in with somebody? Well, what are the circumstances? Is it ever a good time to do, you know, to, to be greedy? I don't know, it depends. Is it, ever, is it ever a good time to be self, self-centered self and self-consumed? I don't know. You know, maybe because you, you've been, you know, focused on so many people for so long. Maybe you just need to be a little bit, just a little bit of narcissistic. For, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It depends. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how many people come to you or come to God and say, This can be good. If God has called it evil, it is never good. And you can continue to do it your way with your wisdom and your knowledge, and your discernment, and you will continue to get death, you will continue to get anxiety, you will continue to walk in fear, you will continue to walk in brokenness, you will continue to walk in insecurity, and insincerity, and you will walk in discontentment. But as for me, I want to walk in the life of God. I want to put my eyes upon the cross and eat from the living manna that God's given me. I want to live today, not just in the future. I want to have life, not just in heaven for all of eternity. I want life today, and life is found in the manna of God, in putting away my knowledge, my discernment, my good and evil, and saying, God, I trust you, and I'm staying in your word and your commands, and I'm resting in that. Amen? You with me? You with me on this? As for me and my house? Serve the Lord. And so I want to ask you, do you you guys know how this all ends? Because once again, the Bible is one big story. So God's given us prophecy of the tree of life, and that's free of knowledge of good and evil that's destroyed, that caused all this damage. And he's saying, once again, I want you to come back to me and my discernment. I'm giving you manna from heaven. I'm giving you a way back to this. But all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you go to Revelation chapter 22. It says, then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystals flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. He says, through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, They will need no lamp or light or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This ends with us being in the presence of God with the tree of life with the words of truth, with the manna from heaven, we will once again be with him forever and ever, pulling from him, not needing sun, not needing light, not needing sustenance, not eating physical bread, because we will be in the presence of the spiritual bread. We will be eating from the spiritual life. We'll be eating from the spiritual tree. We'll be eating from the source and in the presence of the source. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to today, not just in heaven. You're called to eat from the source. Let me ask you, if I stop feeding, like we're going through a, a, a baby formula crisis right now in our culture world, I think. I know we breastfeed. Not me, I don't chestfeed, but my wife breastfeeds. Um, <laughs> but but we, if you stop feeding a baby physical food, what happens? It dies. It needs food. It needs physical manna. You've been born again, right? You, you put your eyes to the cross. You, you've been born again of water and spirit. Jesus says that's what happened, right? you got a new spirit, a new heart. Now you need food. The Bible says, I now feed you spiritual milk. I give you spiritual manna. I give you food. I give you this. Now what happens if you don't eat? You start. Stop. Guys, eat from the spiritual manna. He's from the spiritual food. I'm gonna challenge you, every single one of you, this week, this week, if you're not doing the BTA, Bible Texting Accountability, and if you don't know anything about it, we didn't announce it today. I wasn't planning on plugging this, Mike, so this is for you. Um, No, Mike started it, but this is beyond Mike. This is a God thing. But it's so important. because it gets you in the manna, it gets you in the word, it gets you accountable to his truth. But what it is, is you pick a partner, you pick somebody, come to me, I, I'll take you on, let's do it. And, and, and you, you find a partner and you just text in the Bible, you read the Bible every single day, one chapter a day, and you text them a verse that you found in, 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 insightful or you liked, you don't have to tell them why, you don't have to explain it, you just say, hey, I like 1 Corinthians chapter three, or, or chapter three, verse two. That's it, that's all you text. Put it on there, and it just keeps you in the word. But you're eating the manna. You're eating your life. You're your bread. You're eating your sustenance. And then as we're reading, we're not just reading for knowledge. We're reading because we have the spirit of God who has enables us to follow it and find life in it. Amen? So if you don't have anybody, my goal is by the end, I told, I told Mike, by the, by the end of summer, I think, by September, my goal was to have 80% of the church reading the Bible. Whether that's through Bible texting, accountability, or just in general. 80% of the church reading. Do you know the average readers of the Bible, the average church, how many people read the Bible? About 10%. 10% 10 of the church. And now if you're one of those 10% in here, you're like, don't, don't feel guilty. All right? I know pastors who don't read the Bible. Okay? They just read it for Sunday morning. That's it. But it's our life. My goal, my dream, 80%, 80%. 80% of people reading the scriptures, the word of God, eating the manna from heaven, being filled and matured and growing and finding life and putting away your discernment of good and evil. I do not want to hear ever again in this church, I think, who cares what you think? Throw it in the toilet. God says,